strength and the grace to get through it. Give us the strength uh, and the grace and the faith and the hope to be your kingdom people to a community that needs us desperately, that needs you. They don't need us, sorry. They need you. No, Jesus, they need you. And so give us uh, the strength because you are our great God. And you have looked at us in spite of us and loved us anyway. And we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the gift of of your son. And we thank you for this time and place. We thank you that music is important to you. We thank you that the the joyful noise that we make, we hope God is, is pleasing to your ear this morning in the name of your son. Amen. You may be seated. That was a pretty good worship, wasn't it? So, so for those of you who, for those of you who have never been here before, that's the worst they've ever sounded right there. They're normally three times as good as that. So, um, an amazing job. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm very excited about today. We're continuing our series where we go verse by verse in Second Corinthians. Um, it's a very important message, actually. I would say this might be one of the most important sermons I'll preach this year, and it's only, what, January 20-something, right? Something like that? Whatever today is, I don't care. So, But the point is, this is a very important, because this embodies the whole concept of what grace life is, how we're supposed to interact with one another, and all those things. So I've entitled today's sermon, The Forgiveness Echo. Now, if we were really into production, I would have had Mike Bassett put a lot of reverb when I said that title. Forgiveness, echo, echo, echo. But we didn't do that. Um, But that would have been really cool, wouldn't it? So um, what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage. Uh, It's only about six verses, but they're powerful. So let's just remember what we've done so far. Paul is defending his apostleship. He's defending the gospel and all those things. Those are important things. Uh, And he's gone through and and he's... taught them a lot of stuff. He's taught them about what it means to joy, which is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God. He's spoken about these things. And now he goes into a specific story. So let's just read the passage. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that he would not be outwitted by Satan, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. So we're talking about forgiveness today. And my goal is by the time you leave here today, you will know more about forgiveness than maybe 80 or 90% of people out there. And it's not because of me. It's because of what the scripture teaches about forgiveness. And if you really think about it, this is important. You know how we always, I want to be like Jesus. I I wish I could be more like Christ, right? There's really only two ways you can be like Christ in our human state. Did you know that? There's only two ways. One is forgiveness, and the other is compassion. And every other area, we're doomed for failure. But we can forgive, and we can have compassion on those who need forgiveness. Why? Because we experience all the same stuff that they do. And as a matter of fact, here's what I would tell you. 
One of the best signs of whether or not you've been given the gift of faith, whether or not you really know Christ, to know if you are not, if you are a child of God or not, is if you have a forgiving heart. It's one of the most visible signs of Christ in your life. It's evidence that you yourself understand and have received forgiveness. See, the people who understand forgiveness the most are the people who have received it. And if you have not received it, then you probably don't know what it is. Isn't it interesting? You need to be a person who needs to be forgiven. In other words, you got to be a sinner to understand how to forgive someone else. So let's go through. We, what we do is we break down each passage three ways. We have the historical part of the passage. Answer the question, what about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we'll look at the theological part of the passage. What about God? What did he do? Why and how did he do it? Then we'll have the devotional, which I'm really looking forward to today. What about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? Let's talk about the historical part of this. I want to talk about Paul's mystery center. Just some background. People had started slandering Paul in the church. They were also slandering the Corinthians who embraced Paul. And many in that church had been pulled away by people who had been slandering Paul and the gospel. And then there's 1 Corinthians, and then there's another actual letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. It was a much shorter one. Paul calls it his severe letter to deal with a specific incident in Corinth. And this letter was designed to say, listen, this person has done this. This is how you need to handle it. I'm giving you specific instructions of how to deal with this person that has caused this pain, not only to me, but to you all. He said that in the passage, did he not? He says, the pain that he's caused me is also, if I don't put it too severely, been pain for you too. And what happened was the first, the first letter of 1 Corinthians was scathing on the whole church of Corinth, right? They were doing a lot of stupid things. And he makes it very clear. And then he writes this second smaller letter dealing with this specific issue, this specific sinner, this mystery sinner that's not revealed in 2 Corinthians. And the Corinthian church had taken the first letter, which kind of rebuked them, and the second letter, which rebuked this other guy, and they had responded well to both letters. They had taken Paul's instruction and warning and applied it. So that's what leads to this warmer letter in 2 Corinthians. And here's what Paul does in this issue about the mystery center. He gives instructions to restore. See, we don't know the specifics about what the person did or who he was or how bad it was. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know why this person needed to be forgiven. What we do know was that what he did was extremely public and it affected the whole church in Corinth, perhaps even citywide. It was most likely, based upon what we know about 2 Corinthians and what was going on in Corinth at the time, it's most likely someone who had verbally, publicly, countlessly, many times slandered Paul, not only in the church, but outside of it. That's my speculation. But we don't know specifically what this person had done, but whatever it was, it was very bad and everybody knew about it. And what happened was the Corinthians were following Paul's instructions on how to deal with their issues and the issues of this person. Matter of fact, Paul probably cleared it up for them in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. It says, this is how you handle it. If someone has sinned, you go to them alone. If they don't hear you, take it where there's more than one person 
they don't hear you then, take it to a group of people. They don't hear you then, you take it to the church. And after that, if they still don't hear you, ignore them and shun them. No, that's not what he says. Treat them as someone who needs forgiveness. In other words, love them even more. See, a lot of people had this church discipline thing all messed up. Well, I went to them by myself. We still fought. I went to them with a friend. We still fought. Went to them with three or four people. Still fought. Took it to the church. We still fought. So now I don't have to talk to them anymore. That's not what the scripture teaches. Teacher says they are to be like an unbeliever, which means they need Jesus. They need to understand what? Forgiveness. And so clearly what Paul probably did is explain to them, you have to go through this process to restore the person. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. And what happens in this story is apparently, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, the sinner had repented. And now Paul wants restoration. See, what happened was Titus informed Paul that many were grieving over the pain that Paul had suffered at the hands of this mystery sinner. They were upset. They couldn't believe this person had done that. And they were handling it right, but it was kind of a harsh scenario. The Corinthians loved Paul, even though he was harsh with them. They loved him and they had his back. And their process of discipline of this mystery sinner, who clearly had been part of the church, was motivated by their love for Paul. Now, is that a good thing or bad? I, I don't know. But their motivation was their love for Paul, and they went through the correct process, and Paul makes it very clear now that this person is to be restored completely. He says, because if we continue on this, he's going to have sorrow that he can't handle. And that's not the goal of this after all. We're not here to make people feel so heavy and burdened with guilt that they hate themselves. That's not what we want. The sinner has suffered enough, Paul says. It's over. Time to get back to living together. And so what Paul does is he puts revenge, vindication, selfish empathy, all of those things, arrogant justice that makes himself seem better than someone else. He takes all those off the table. Paul recognizes that the pain this man caused him was irrelevant. No matter what it was he did, Paul says, it no longer matters. The important thing now is the health and unity and welfare of the church. I mean, certainly Paul's part, part of Paul's ability to do this was probably because he knew he was guilty himself of far worse things than this guy did. Right? Before he was a Christian, he murdered people like this guy just because they believed in Jesus. Paul was able to put his wounds aside. Why? Because he himself had been what? Forgiven. Paul had a distinct understanding of the gospel and grace and forgiveness. He knew it frontwards and backwards. Why? Because he had undeservedly received it, overflowing. This murderous Christian hater was now a church planner because of forgiveness. Paul loves his church family more than his own ego or vengeance. He also goes a step further. He says he communicates that a lack or a failure to do this 
will do what? Give the enemy a massive opening for an attack in the church. Not only is it important that you restore him, if you don't, the devil can get in and cause more discord because we are not unaware, brethren, of his tricks. What Paul is saying is the biggest area that you can be attacked is not the pagans who talk smack about you. It's lack of forgiveness in your own family. Wow. That's good history right there, ain't it? Now you got an understanding? Let's look at the theology. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I'm going to explain a little bit about how Jesus models the forgiveness. Forgiveness that Paul received. Okay, the reason Paul was able to write this is because of what Jesus did for him. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. And most, most people think that Paul wrote this. I think he did. Some people think it wasn't him, but I believe it was. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So what does Jesus do to be able to create forgiveness? The first thing is Jesus, the Son of God, sinless, submits to a process. The process was this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The scripture teaches us that. And the process is not easy. And as a matter of fact, get this. This is important for you to understand. If you fancy yourself a forgiver, the work of the forgiver, forgiver is ten times harder than those that are needing to be forgiven. See, whatever the process is, sometimes it includes confrontation. Sometimes it includes accountability. Sometimes it includes conversations that put the relationship at risk. But there has to be a process before forgiveness can take place. Because without a process, you know what it really is? It's not forgiveness. It's a lack of courage. See, it's really easy to forgive someone and not go through the process. Jesus went through the process. He came to earth. He lived as a man. He subjected himself to all those things that we are tempted by. The scripture teaches why. So we could be a sympathetic high priest. And then he died in our place, taking our punishment. In other words, in order to forgive you, I will become what you deserve. And that leads us to our next point in the forgiveness process. He paid a price. He came down from his place in heaven and became a man and gave his life for us. So the forgiver, Jesus, submitted to a process. He paid a price, his life. He endures pain. If you fancy yourself a forgiver, you know what? It's not going to come without pain. He subjected himself to the same things we go through every day only without electricity <laughs> and Facebook and the internet. He submitted to a process. He paid a price. He endured pain. And let me tell you, I love this part. He makes forgiveness permanent. The reason he could make it permanent is because he submitted to a process. He paid a price. He endured the pain, and he makes forgiveness permanent. Listen to me, church. The forgiveness we receive from Christ is not conditional. 
but declarative. It is irreversible and it is binding. It is not, if you will, a continuing resolution. <laughs> Voted on in Congress. It's not a bipartisan agreement. There is no threat ever of a forgiveness shutdown. That was a, I worked on that one all week. Give me a little bit more than that, okay? <laughs> but Christ unilaterally, because he submitted to a process, he paid a price, he endured the pain, he declares because he went through all those things, you know what? You are forgiven because of what I have done for you. And there is no reversal. No vote. No shutdown. It will persist. And then he does the personal part. He initiates forgiveness through the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Ephesians says that. You were dead in sin, has he made alive in Christ Jesus? And through the Holy Spirit, he draws us in, giving us the gift of faith. Let me explain it this way, and I did this as my Sunday sermon preview on Facebook this week and on Twitter. God doesn't sit with his arms crossed waiting for us to make the first move. He moves first, pulls us toward him, and forgives us. Why? Because faith is a gift. Your forgiveness that you received in Christ is not because you were so smart that you're able to figure out, oh, wow, I need forgiveness. You had no clue you needed forgiveness. Until the Spirit of God says, you know what? Through the work of Christ on the cross, I've paid the price. I can make the declaration because I have gone through the process. I'm going to go and get Joe Davis. I'm going to take him out of darkness into light, give him the forgiveness, enlighten him, and see and show him what forgiveness looks like. Why? So that he can learn to forgive others. Which brings me to the devotional part of our passage. What about me? What do I do? Why and how do I do it? I want to talk about the ingredients of a forgiveness echo. Look, we understand that forgiveness has to be orderly. This isn't like, you know, free love hippie movement. Forgiveness has a process. It has a price. It has pain. Then there's a declaration. And then it begins by the forgiver. The forgiver must initiate the process. Forgiveness is orderly. There was a process for this mystery center. Paul knew how important his apostolic authority was in the early church. So he had to make sure whatever this man was doing, it was dealt with according to the teachings of Matthew 18. So we aren't just talking about, guys, forgiveness and love that compromises our values. We are not. We're not talking about forgiveness that overlooks sinfulness. We are not. That's actually not forgiveness. That's laziness. That's a lack of courage. And that's a lack of desire to do what's right. And when possible, sometimes it's not possible. But when possible, confrontation, humble, loving confrontation is a part of forgiveness. And forgiveness is selfless. Jay Adams has this quote about orderly. I wanted to put this up there. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the church running smoothly. And it's true. If you want a church to be decently in an order, 
one of the first things you need is the oil, the lubricant of forgiveness. I mean, how good is a church going to run? How well are people going to work together if everybody has an axe to grind against each other? It's a disaster. And then forgiveness is selfless. The pain caused to the forgiver is not as important as we think it is. What's more important is the impact on the church and the kingdom that forgiveness can have. We should not let our thirst for revenge or self-imposed justice short-circuit the church's ability to recover. I don't like that either, trust me. But then forgiveness is also merciful. Let me explain it this way. While there is the confrontation part, you should be more eager to bring the joy of restoration than you are the pain of accountability. Great story. About a year ago, my wife and I, we went to the Cinebistro. And uh, we went to go see, and this wasn't my choice, it was her. I think it was Alice through the looking glass. It's not, it's not a man chick, but we went, it was date night, we went. And we paid extra for a 3D movie. And I'm in there at the beginning, and I'm, I got the glasses on, and I take them off, and honey, I think this looks the same. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's 3D. No. No, it's, it's not. And finally realized, yeah, that's not 3D. It looks better with them off. So I started to realize we paid extra for this. We're at the Cine Bistro, you know. The recliners, like $60 of the food and all this. I was angry. I wanted justice on the Cine Bistro. I wanted to make sure the Cinebistro knew that I was unhappy. They have taken my 3D money and given me 2D entertainment. I want my money back. Not only that, my, my appetite is ruined. I want the money for the food back. Not only that, the next time we come, I want it all to be free. I was, my anger was through the roof. Well, maybe not through the roof. I wasn't a recliner. I mean, it's not too bad. But I wanted justice right then and there. And Laura says, no, just stop. Let's watch the movie. All right, but I'm not going to like it. I wasn't going to like it anyway. And now, <laughs> through the looking glass, come on. <laughs> but see, that's the way we are many times with the people that wrong us. We want justice. We make that the most important thing. But what's really the most important thing? Us granting forgiveness after we've gone through the process, after we've endured the pain, after we've paid the price. Isn't it interesting that the forgiver is the one called to join the process, endure the pain, and pay the price? The forgiver, not the forgiven. And then the forgiveness that we can offer is comforting. Divine comfort. Anybody remember that from week one? Good, because I don't remember it. What did I say? No, I'm just kidding. So one of the definitions I gave you, divine comfort. And so understanding that forgiveness can be comforting is so important. And what else? Forgiveness restores, jo restores the joy. And what is joy? The supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God. We learned that last week. You can't enjoy divine comfort and joy unless there is a forgiveness echo. And what do I mean by echo? You have received it. And now you reproduce it for others 
It's an echo from Christ. Christ makes the first noise in the canyon of sin, and we return it back to those who have wronged us. Matter of fact, Jesus said that, right? In his prayer? Now, look, we all want to be sure before we extend forgiveness, right? I want to be sure he'll never do it again. I'll forgive, but this is the last time. Well, you can't do that. You can't be sure they'll never do it again. The only thing you can be sure of is God's presence in your life and whether or not you want to enjoy it. If your hope for joy is in human consistency after you've so graciously and humbly given forgiveness, you won't have any joy. You will be chasing it your whole life. Matter of fact, Right before, right after Matthew chapter 18, 15 to 18, about how you deal with sin, somebody says, okay, that's a good process, God. I appreciate that. Can you tell me how many times do I go through this process before I can stop? Seven times? He says, no, 70 times seven. So after 491, you can stop. No, that's not what he means. (laughs) What he means is there is no end. I've met with him one-on-one. We got it done. Great. They did it again. What do I do? Go to step two. No, you go back to step one. I went back. One-on-one, didn't hear. Step two with a friend. He heard it. Great. Forgiven. He did it again. Do I go back to step two? No, you go back to step one. One One-on-one, didn't hear it. Step two with friends. A bigger group. He heard it. Great. Forgiveness. He did it again. Step, no, back to one. Two, three. Then every time you start over. And if you happen to go all the way to the end, what do you get to do? Love them even more because they need Christ. Because clearly they have not understood forgiveness yet. Failure to forgive becomes an arrogant sin that steals your joy as well as the joy of those who need forgiveness. Look at this verse in Hebrews. For every priest... Talking about the high priest, and this was understandable for the Jews because their understanding came from a fact that there was a high priest who would perform the sacrifices in the temple, the ritual sacrifices for forgiveness. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Why are they men? He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because since he himself is beset with weakness... The priest is able to deal gently with those who don't understand forgiveness and those who aren't in the path of Christ. Why? Because he himself is beset with weakness. God did this on purpose. He chose crappy people to be echoes of forgiveness because we understand how hard it is to be a sinner in this world. Because of this, he obligated to, because of this, the high priest, the human one, He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. In other words, in the midst of you extending forgiveness, you have to understand I am in just as much need of forgiveness as the person I'm trying to forgive. Wow. See, this is why God uses flawed people to build his church. Because he expects us, as flawed people, to have compassion and empathy 
and mercy. Because we ourselves are in desperate need of it. This is why, just like the high priest, we are obligated to be sacrificial for the forgiveness of those who sin against us. We are obligated because of what we have received to go through the process, to endure the pain, to pay the price, and to declare forgiveness, and to not have it roll back on a condition. Because that's what God has done for us. And when we don't, Paul makes it very clear in the last verse, it's a stunning breeding ground for the enemy. Paul says something else to the church in Colossae. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. In other words, people are flawed. Live with it. If one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Just in case you think I got it wrong. I have a great quote for you, okay? To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Actually, I didn't say that. It's C.S. Lewis, but I wanted to make you think I did (laughs) because it's so good. I just put it up there for now anyway. Okay, how's that? No, C.S. Lewis said it. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Boy, that's a strong word, isn't it? Forgive the inexcusable? Are you nuts? Well, God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Here's what I know. A lack of forgiveness produces a burden that hinders joy. It hinders love. It hinders growth. When we echo God's forgiveness to us, it encourages others to echo our forgiveness. It becomes a positive feedback loop of forgiveness, grace, healing, and mercy. My hope is that our church has so much orderly, painful, costly forgiveness that it becomes contagious, that it becomes abnormal when we don't participate in orderly forgiveness. It becomes abnormal when we live in a state of unforgiveness. Or we become uncomfortable when the process of forgiveness is short-circuited. Guys, look, it takes courage to offer forgiveness. For example, if I come to one of you with a sin that you have, what's the first thing you can say to me? Well, you have done this to me. I've seen how you drive on 41, Pastor Joe. How dare you get on me for running the stop sign in your subdivision? (laughs) But you know what? Going in, I know that. I don't drive good, but I have to do this, knowing that they are going to confront me with mine. Is that not enduring pain? Is that not the greatest example of being a servant? Hey, listen, I'm coming to you, and I know that you have things that are very legitimate. That's why we don't like confrontation. Let's be honest. We're not afraid of them. We're afraid of what they know about us. But my desire is that our church becomes so good at orderly forgiveness that is abnormal when it's not there, and that we become a church that has this continuing forgiveness echo in the canyon of sinfulness. Because I'll tell you this, sinners above anyone else should be forgiving. Dad, 
We are sinners. In a way, I'm glad that I'm a sinner because it helped me understand forgiveness. Lord, help us to apply that lesson in a way that stuns those that need forgiveness and those around watching our forgiveness echo and hearing it reverberate because of grace. Amen.